This is behind the curtain where you get to go behind the scenes with the minds behind the magic. And so we get to talk a little bit today about the piece that you're going to be seeing this afternoon, uh, some of the themes associated with it. For those who don't know me, my name is Justin John Moniz, and I'm the executive director of HPATH. And, um, you know, many have sort of seen this piece program and have had some thoughts as to its relevancy, or why are we doing it, why are we doing it here, why are we doing it now? And just a few words about the season. If you've seen in the, in the marketing, hopefully you have, a season of self-discovery, the theme of this season is just that. And this piece is really special in that regard, as is Orpheus in the Underworld and Hair. So we've decided to launch the series Behind the Curtain, which enables you, the audience, to come and to be a part of not only a talk, but a dialogue with the artistic team and uh, a little bit of a way to, to get in on some of the process and to really see the relevancy of the work. I, I'm really passionate about programming repertoire that is relevant and programming material with themes that challenge people to think about ideas in different ways. And I think that as artists and as storytellers, if we do not use our art form as a vehicle for conversation, and a vehicle for social impact, I think we fall short. And so the, the hope for this season and this experience, while in some ways a little bit niche, if you will, in the contemporary American <clears throat> opera setting, the point is to get us thinking about some of these ideas in different ways, and to allow us to leave the theater and continue to let some of these things marinate as we go back and enter society and really try to be good people and uh, move these ideas forward. So I'm so delighted that we have an incredible team here on this project this season. Of course, we have our longtime festival favorite, also on the board here at Kahilu Theater, Beth Dunnington, our stage director. And we have our music director and conductor from Chicago, who is with us, making her HPATH debut, Alexis Enyard. And so I'd like to turn the floor over to our magnificent duo and allow them to give a little context about the piece and just to talk about some of the ideas and some of the process that went into everything you're going to see today. So thank you, Beth and Alexis. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. thank you. Well, I think to start, we could just talk a little bit about where the piece came from. Because normally, um, it's so nice working with living um, composers and creators in this process that I've had the great privilege to sit down with the creative team a lot of times. And so I'll just tell their story of where this comes from. And so it starts where Laura Kaminsky is um, reading the newspaper one day, and she's reading this story about a couple who's married right now, and they, on the surface, are a, a heteronormative man and a woman couple in all these ways, um, except that the, um, the person perceived right now as a man is transitioning and revealing womanhood. And their marriage is about to become illegal because two women can't be married. And Laura is looking at it and she says, this story is an opera, and immediately starts getting involved and looking around where she connects with Kimberly Reed, who had done Prodigal Sons, this uh, documentary, about her own life coming back to small town Minnesota after her coming out. And the two of them start really working and pull in Mark Campbell, one of uh, a very prolific um, opera librettist, 
Um, and this creative team starts working together to put this piece together. Kimberly talking about her own experiences, and at the same time working together with Mark, who has done opera, to bring this uh, real powerful storytelling together. And then Laura, at this point, is just waiting, and waiting to get the score. And I think that's the hardest part for living composers, is that they have this great idea, now they have to wait till someone writes the book so that they can actually get, um, get everything that happens. So Laura then gets it and, and starts workshopping it. The very first time that they did it, this was her first opera. She had never done one before. It's now the most produced American opera in. That's it. It's so it's been done. This is the 52nd production. It's seven years old. So it's just an incredible uh, story that has captured the attention of people all over the country and all over the world. It's now been produced. I myself have done the Australia premiere, um, which is wonderful getting to share it there. I know it's been done in the UK as well and then Germany and, and beyond. So um, it has really taken off. And I think one of the real powers of it is that we rarely get to see American stories on the opera stage. And that's such a shame because uh, while America is young to the opera game in some ways, at this point, the amount of work that's happening, the amount of um, writing, the amount of storytelling that is happening uh, through American composers and through American librettists is quite powerful. Um, so I'm so excited to share this piece and I, I hope that that also is a really powerful aspect of this piece and getting to enjoy that piece. I'd love if, Beth, you would talk a little bit about this particular production and what, the, what this looks like and what we should expect today. Yeah. Uh, first, I want to say how wonderful it is as a director to work with a conductor who's done the opera seven times and that this is her eighth production. So I really relied on uh, Alexis to guide me, having, you know, she having worked with the creative team. Um, this piece... I, I'm really grateful to HPATH for bringing this piece here. It's an important story, the story of a, a, a woman, a transgender woman, and the joy and the heartbreak and the self-discovery of that. And what they've done that's so beautiful is they've taken you through her journey as a young boy with a paper route to um, an adult woman. And for me as a director, it was really interesting to try to figure out what the story is, like how the story plays out in, in, in my vision of it, because you want to take an opera that's the most produced opera in, in the country and, you know, give it, put your, your vision on it. So it, what, I, what I'm doing, what I found out from both um, Alexis and uh, Rosé, who you'll see tonight, who's playing um, Hannah before, that it's, 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 a sli it's a slightly different interpretation than they've done before, which I really appreciate. Um, it was a very emotional process for us. There was a lot of discussion about what it means to be um, transgender and to be, even, uh, to be a girl coming of age, even separate from that, what it means and everything you go through um, growing up. And so we worked on it as a director I wanted. We, we, it was a very quick process. Um, we, we had you know, less than two weeks, which is part of a festival. Yet, um, the timing, and I, I really want to acknowledge Justin and, and the team for this, the timing, we had the, the time that we needed to both get the staging done, to have the discussions we needed to have, to do some playing in the house. I don't like to come in and just block a show, just put, say, you go here, you go here. Show me where you want to go. 
you know, let's play around a little bit, let's improvise. So we were able to get some improvisation in. And by the time we moved from Gates, where we rehearsed, to Kahilu, we were really ready to put it on the stage. And what's interesting this season, and I'm, I'm going to be so in, interested in seeing how Justin, and uh, as the musical director, and then, the, and then the, the director of Hair is Lee Summers, and Scott, who's directing Orpheus, how they handle it, because we're all on the same set. We have a, a set which is really quite lovely in platforms, but we all get to play with it the way we want to. So that was the challenge for me. Take this set that I've been given and figure out where everybody lives and how we light it and who's in focus. Um, so we opened last night. Mm, it, was a, it was a beautiful opening. It was, it was very emotional um, to have the kind of response that we had and to see something you imagine in your mind working like that. Uh, some of you I know were here uh, last night. And uh, it's, it's quite thrilling. It's thrilling to bring this to Hawaii. It's, it's a very important story. It's a very important story. And I have to say, there were people I called and I said, please come to Aswan. I see that you're not on the list. And they said, well, we don't normally go to contemporary opera. It's not melodic or, um, you know, we don't know it. You know, we'll come to Mozart, we'll come. And so I, the, the people who said that are coming, or came last night. And I really appreciate if you're here, you know, if you're one of those people. Thank you so much for trusting us and jumping in. I think you'll really um, be pleased and excited with what you're going to see on the stage. It's really, I think of it as it's a theater piece. Um, it's a theater piece. Another thrill is watching this woman conduct opera. I, I, I don't know how many of you are my Facebook friends, but in one rehearsal, she was so physical. I, had, I actually stopped watching the performers, which I'm supposed to be watching the performers, because I had to watch her conducting. And the last time I saw somebody conduct that physically with that much passion and energy was uh, when I lived in New York and I, got, I had the extreme privilege of seeing Leonard Bernstein conduct. And I don't say that lightly. Um, those of you who know me, I don't make those kind of comparisons, but she is <laughs> an extraordinary conductor. I, her b baton is a, a magic wand. And um, it's really been a thrill and a great honor working with you. And, uh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm very flattered and honored by that. And it's been so wonderful being here and sharing this space. And thank you for introducing me to the Kihilu and all of these wonderful spaces. It's just been wonderful to be here. One thing that has been so special about Hawaii is there, there are two things. One is that Hawaii has a, uh, already an awareness of uh, third gender ideas through mahu. And I think that that's something that's really significant also is that um, there are plenty of people within uh, your own community right here who, you know, the magic word for Hannah is not said in the show. We have it implied. You know, it's, it's somewhere between transgender and because of the time, transsexual. We don't actually know what it is. But for, I'm certain for people here, the magic word is mahu, having that same moment of realization and having this, this realization. And so that's something really powerful here that I hope can be taken away um, to have another look on, on what this means to, to have this. Because the thing is that uh, we as, as humans have an incredible amount of diversity, an incredible amount of, of what makes us us. And really, language is an attempt, uh, often like uh, a humble attempt, to try to capture what it is to be and what it means to, to exist. 
So I think that there's something really special, which is why opera I just find to be a beautiful merging of text and music to get one closer to speaking some aspect of truth about what it means to be a person and just mm -hmm. what it means to, to exist. Um, because uh, it is, it's always such um, a special thing to get to share that. And I hope that, I, that this is a tool for human connection. Mm -hmm. And that's what opera was at first and, and is at first, is, is about connection. It's about sharing. It's about being together and saying, I see myself. And also, I understand that that's not me all at once. And that's something that's so joy, joyful about this production and this show, um, is that Hannah's journey is one that I hope that um, any, anyone who has grown up from a little girl to a woman can relate to, and anyone who's ever had to cover a piece of themselves, whatever it is, and say, I'm not allowed to have this piece of me, can say, isn't it great when we get to reveal the truth, when we get mm -hmm. to tell the truth, and we just allow each other to do that? Because Hannah is not a little boy who turns into a woman. She's a little girl who is forced to be a boy. It's, you know, she's, if she had the freedom from the very first song to do what she wanted, she would do it. The very first theme musically that happens, that changes everything, and you'll hear it, we have this introduction. Before anyone sings, it's all joyful. And then all of a sudden, the first violin, everything gets quieter, and the first violin plays this really aggressive line, bum, 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 bum. And that comes later, and the text is, no one will know. And before she ever sings, she has to cover this piece of who she is. And we all do that. And that's something that little girls all over the world have to do, is cover some piece of who they are to try to fit in. And that's something that's really relevant right now in our country, is the way that women are asked to be less than, women are asked to be smaller than, and asked to keep quiet and don't tell the truth and not to live the lives that they can. And this story is just completely goes against that. Opera has a horrible killing women problem. <laughs> it does. And, it's something really powerful about this one that Hannah, she reaches these moments where you can see where other operas would end. And, and they're very heartbreaking moments, but a hundred years ago, that's where the story ends, is that, that that's it. And what makes this so special is the moment that it, it changes. And all of a sudden, we're going somewhere you totally didn't expect, and it just it goes and it does this totally its own thing. And I think that that's what makes it so special is that, that she starts as an every woman and by the end, it's Hannah. And, and that's a really powerful thing also. And Beth has paced it so well to be that way. What was it like going through the pacing from beginning to end? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question. One of the things I noticed in the performance last night, the times when the singers sit and there's no movement and you can hear a breath, it was so interesting as a director because I'm watching and thinking, wow, they're so still. You know, I, I directed it this way. And as it's going on, I'm like, you know what, the stillness, the pacing of the juxtaposition of the frenetic movement that Hannah needs to have 
with the stillness of taking all this in, in this process of going through a life like that, was really, really significant. So the pacing became really, really important. You will find moments when you're watching this today, oh, you'll, there, there's a, a moments of extreme motion, and moments of stillness, where they're sitting across stage from each other, and the music is, she's conducting, and, the music, and they're sitting there. And uh, it's kind of lovely, I think, in those moments to land in it, to just land in it and let the air come in, which we as directors don't always do. We want to keep things moving. We want to make sure the audience is, is engaged. But there, it, it requires some thoughtful stillness. And one thing that happened last night that was so interesting was there's a very athletic scene where the, uh, Hannah before um, was, you know, she really was trying to catch her breath. And you're in a big theater, you know, the Kahilu, and there's, there are no microphones, and we could hear her breathing. And I thought, wow, it's quiet enough in the house. People are really engaged. We can hear the opera singer breathing in between words, and that really meant something. Um, I do want to say that I had the great privilege of meeting Mark Campbell, um, the librettist, one of the two um, librettists, this summer when I was, he was supposed to be here, but he was he has another opera that was commissioned, so he, he's not here, and he wrote to me. And I said, Mark, um, you know, what, what, what should I think about? You know, um, such an honor to direct your opera. This is a first time, you know, this is a first time production for me. I don't have seven productions <laughs> under my belt. Like, she's soon to have maybe 11. Um, but, uh, and he wrote back to me and he said, please keep the word joy in mind. Yes, there's heartbreak. Yes, there's violence. Yes, there's everything. Uh, and not, not explicit violence. There's no, no death. Uh, but there's, you know, there's, you'll see. I don't want to give it all away. And so you will notice at, a, at when, there, when there's a scene about joy and she's standing on the block, you'll see the lights come up. You'll see it brighten. Because whenever there's that kind of joy and her arms are up, um, I asked the lighting designer to, put, to pull light in, to light her. So the lighting was very significant in this. I worked really hard with the um, lighting designer on what's in focus, what's joyous, and what's shadow. So there's a lot of interplay. And there's also the wonderful uh, video, videos that um, come with this. There's a whole video section, and, and it's the background. And there is some interaction in my production with the video where you'll notice the performers turn and engage with the, the video. There's no dialogue. There's nothing. There's no sound coming from the video. But the video is almost a third um, character. It's a huge piece. It's so wonderful with Kimberly Reed's involvement. You know, very few operas have the joy of having a co-librettist also be an award-winning filmmaker. And so uh, Kimberly Reed is that rare combo. And so we really get a side of the art form that you don't always see in other productions because you have to bring someone in extra to go do that. Whereas is this is, is a core piece of the show, the way they've put it together. Um, captures, I mean, the way that she puts film together and, and does that. And so it's, it is, it's a beautiful um, addition to as one. And it's, it's such a special thing because, Hannah, you know, it, it's a 75-minute show. But at the same time, um, it's one of these where both singers are on stage the whole time. And at the end, the mezzo sings for 17 minutes without pause. 17 straight. And it's one of these huge roles where if you compare the amount of time that Hannah sings to Tosca or to Violetta or to Mimi or any of these huge, significant women of opera, 
she is on stage and as significant and has the same number of arias and the same number of time as any of them um, because normally there are other scenes with other people. So it's, it's amazing how this show manages to tell. It's, it's a story about one person told with two people, just beautifully done, and um, it's, it's really rare to see something like that. I can't really think of another. I call it an episodic monodrama for two. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard you say yeah, that. It's, it's, I love that. And so huh. it's its own little shape, which is very interesting. Um, and I hope that the takeaway, you know, sometimes people um, make trans issues and trans lives so uh, other, and it's like, it's not something that I understand. You know, being trans myself, I feel like a lot of what people are looking for is just a chance to live. And that's it, is just to be, just to exist and to have space and for that to be okay, because we all only get one life. And, um, you know, for the most part, it's one of those, if it's not hurting you, then what does it matter? You know, it's, it's not really a thing. So it's, I hope that Hannah also is a reminder that transgender is just an adjective. And it, it's an adjective, you know, again, language is like just best guesses. So it's just another adjective, like tall or like black or like Muslim or like blue-eyed or anything and adjectives have as much weight as we decide they have so I hope that when you see her there are moments where that adjective is gone and that transgender is not even said in this show the word isn't there and I think that's part of the power because Hannah is a powerful woman those are the words she uses for herself and I think that that's really the significant part is to engage with her and to see her for who she is free of some of these expectations that we have when we leave. You know, theater is a beautiful space to get to share ideas and share moments and things like this. So I hope that for the 75 minutes the show is happening, that there's the space to really see something differently and just to see it from this totally different viewpoint. And I hope that that has some lasting impact just to the next time you see someone who maybe trans or maybe gender nonconforming or mahu, there's just a, a different respect of do we need to say the label every time or can they just be? And that, that would be just enough. Um, and I think that that's a really powerful thing. Because it is behind the scenes, I do want to tell you some of the things to listen for. Um, there's one of my favorite things about this piece, because we have these two voices coming together, is that the piece is built on voice crossing, which is the moment where a baritone voice goes up and the mezzo voice goes down and they overlap. And as a result of that, uh, the note that the piece arrives on a lot is this F sharp moment. And that's where, when you hear F sharp happen, where it's this combination, that's where Hannah is at her most vulnerable or her most true, where they're together. And it's so funny because we get them, you don't really get any of them. You, it starts that way, and then they're gone. And you don't really get any again until she's writing home to her parents. And when she says the word love, we love you on love, you get to that F sharp for just a second where she's really right there. When they start taking hormones, they sing close and they both are like right around F sharp, but they can't get there yet. And so they've got these letters and they come back and, and it's again like mom writing these things. We're going back to the F sharp. And then everything continues on. We get to Norway, where she's so close to making it through. And Norway is set 
on this repeating E over again, over again. It goes E, 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 bam, E, 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 over and over, which is one note away from F sharp. And so it just grinds this E like, like for 15 minutes that we're just like coming back to the tonal center of E. And finally, when we get to the end of the show, we get S1, F sharp again, right there. And so we finally arrive on this F sharp, but even that is fleeting. Because I think that our real Hannah is as elusive as the Northern Lights. So even then, the baritone goes as one and goes back to an A. And so you have this little moment of real self. But, but even that, there's this aspect of we really only experience our true selves in our purest moments briefly. No one is living their pure, raw, vulnerable mm. soul out 100% of the time. And I think that's something really special that this captures also, is where you find the moments and, and just watching and being like, oh, that's one of the moments. And there are other ones that dramatically Beth has pulled out where it's where's the raw true self. But it, those ones, the little F sharp ones, are, are one more that Laura has put in. It's just this really intimate, vulnerable moment, which is very special. Beautifully said. Yeah, it's basically, do you want to do questions now? Well, I want to say one more okay. thing since you gave some inside stuff. I want to give one inside Perfect. thing to look at. So there's a scene where they're sitting there and she says, I, then I see her on TV. There she is. I had both Hannah's, the bar baritone and mezzo, singing that out. Alexis said, you know, that's Kimberly Reed, the, the, the writer on the screen. You'll see her on the video. It's all staticky, but you'll see a blonde woman. So Hannah Baritone turns so that one is facing the screen, and it completely changed that moment. So when that comes up, you, you can't miss it. And you see, and I see her on TV. And just watch how Hannah Baritone turns, and we've got the, the dichotomy of ahead and behind and looking in all directions. I love that moment, and I, again, I thank you for giving that to me. There were lots of moments like that um, in this where I went to Alexis, and that's unusual for uh, a, a director in musical theater to go to the musical director for that and in opera, and it's just been, for me, a joyous um, collaboration. We just, you know, it's speaking the same language, and it's uh, just, you know, just giving this piece, working so hard on the, on the moments and then just giving it wings to just, just, just fly. And it's just, I think it's beautiful. It is melodic. It's mm -hmm. absolutely melodic. Now you're going to just be thinking about F sharp. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So yeah, questions, sure. Yeah. If anyone has them. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for the hard work that both of you put into this and the cast. Uh, it's a wonderful production. Uh, I was curious, uh, from both your perspectives, briefly, I know we're short on time, uh, what was it like working with two different casts, and can you point out uh, the highlights of the two different casts? Uh, how they differ? So for me, having worked with a lot of different Hannahs, um, one thing that I think kind of helps people to become one person is if everyone figures out one adjective for themselves to kind of hold on to, to be, this is like my piece of Hannah and how I see her, so last night's cast, um, the mezzo picked fiery, and the baritone had charming. And so the mezzo went to more charm, and the baritone went to more fire. And that way they could have this blend. Tonight's cast picked the words vulnerable and romantic. So in this way, I think you'll see a very different Hannah, who is one who 
you know, there are these moments where she's like looking out and thinking about things and you can see that in some ways she even like, and she knows because she tells jokes, she even over idealizes moments and she's like, oh, you know, there's one great moment where she's talking about the library she goes to. And she says, I find it out at the Lewis and Clark Library named for explorers. And so it's got this like self, oh, I'm also an explorer and here we are. And you can see like the romanticizing these moments and things like that. So they pull that out differently than a fiery and charming Hannah does. Um, you know, the, the um, fire, I love, I love that for the other cast also because they really do it. There are so many moments where that Hannah drives forward and is like aggressive about doing things. And, and this Hannah, you know, she is more thoughtful in, in some of it and the way that they're playing it and the way that they're playing her. And it's amazing how much you can change with these same lines just by thinking about it differently that way. And then on top of that, I like to use adjectives, Beth had everyone come up with different objectives. Right, yeah, thank you. Yes, working with an acting score. So it was really interesting having two different acting scores for, and I, cause, because I ask everybody to come up with an objective, obstacles, all the things, you know, actions and all that. Uh, uh, initially, because we put this up pretty quickly, I was a little concerned about having two casts, but I came to love it because it was a complicated tech and we teched separately. And what would happen is cast, the second cast would get up and say, move the block, you know, you, this is where we moved the block last night. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden we have four Hannahs helping each other. It was kind of, and there's a lot of mirroring. You'll see movements where they're sitting at the same time. They're moving their head at the same time. They're mirroring differently. So it was really wonderful to see, I asked them each to mirror, please sit here exactly, please reach for each other exactly, please pull your hand out exactly at the same time, but they do it so differently. So it was, uh, that was wonderful to see what they came up with. And quickly, if we had more time, there would have been more of that, but I'm, I was very happy with how that, uh, how that was a very different show from last night's show. And that's great, because there are people who are seeing it twice. Uh, the Hannah before, Rosé um, played this role at the Kennedy Center I, after I had already directed it because I don't like to watch another production before mm -hmm. I watched a video of that production. Um, it was beautiful. So, yeah, yeah, thank you, Steve. And thank you for the gorgeous pictures that you took during dress rehearsal. Thank you, thank you. Do you have any other questions? Hi, Duncan. Uh, yes, there's a lot of things. I was, I was in the audience last night. There were a lot of things to really love about that show last night. One particular one in my mind was the lack of amplification. No microphones, right? Mm -hmm. And I just love that. And I just hate to come to Kahilu when the electrons are bouncing all over the wall. <laughs> but at, any event, at the same time, uh, I had a question about um, I had trouble, and this may have just been my problem, catching all the lyrics. And the lyrics was one of the most important parts of the language that you're sending in. Mm -hmm. And I think other people did too, but I'm not sure. I know I had trouble. And I'm wondering if there's any thought given to projecting Okay, I'm going to answer that question before you even finish asking it. So there are, there are surtitles, or super titles, and the only option of where to project them was on, in the front of the proscenium. And you know this theater really well. It's a very deep theater. The video is in the back. We're using like four electrics. It goes way back. And so 
I chose to cut that because here's what would have happened. You would have been listening to the show, watching the supertitles, reading it. You would have missed all the action and you would have missed the video. You cannot watch both. I, we literally, a whole crew of us sat there looking at the proscenium to see how much we could catch and we missed most of what was happening on the stage. So I had to make a decision. Do we trust that the actors, that the, the singers can amplify enough so that you understand it? Or do we give up the physical show? Because people will be reading the super titles. And once you start reading them, you're reading them. And you won't know where to focus. There was just no way to project it on the back. They tried. We spent like a half a rehearsal trying to figure that out. So that's that answer. It was a judgment call. I, I still wouldn't project it on the proscenium because I know what you'd all be looking at. Yeah, so th but thank you, Duncan, because I think that's something to think about in a future production like this. Maybe there's a way you know, to do that, to put it. The super titles are always projected on the proscenium here, and that's just so far away, and this opera, again, has all that video. That's not a usual component. Most of the show happens upstage, so you just can't see that. You, can't, you, can't, you don't have four eyes. Yeah. Joanna. Would you consider... Do uh, performing it with amplification? Oh, I'm going to answer that, may I? I am a musical theater director, first and foremost. I made a big mistake in rehearsal. I said, hey, does anybody want a mic? Here's, I'm going to admit that. Are any of the singers here? Here's the way to insult an opera singer. They were all mortified. <laughs> and they said, oh my God, we're opera singers. And I, I'm like, of course you are. No, you know. I mean, I mic to a side story. I mic spring. I'm, we mic the musicals. We do not need to mic the, um, the opera singers. And nor are they, they're never mic'd. You know, and Val Underwood, you want to make Val Underwood really mad, mic the opera singers. Yeah, no, so they're not mic'd. Yeah. I have done it one time, mic'd. We were in really. A, we were in an old abandoned train station, <laughs> where uh, it was a found space. So it was, it was this huge space. There's just no way it would have been able to even be heard without it. But what was funny is that it was mic'd. So the one time I did it mic'd, it was with Lucia Lucas, who's oh. a held in baritone Easton, and Blythe Gasson, who have wow. the two biggest huge voices who have voices. ever done Hannah. So on top of it being mic'd, it was the single loudest Hannah I've ever heard. <laughs> but it was necessary because of the space. As long as you're in a traditional theater, I, I would not say micing it. But if you find yourself doing it in somewhere totally different, then, you know, it is, it is appropriate uh, depending like on... Like an outdoor space. If you, you it was, to. and it was a half-outdoor space. So it's one of those where you just need that sort of thing. So thankfully, the piece can handle it. Um, but the Kihilo is a beautiful space to not need it mic'd, which has been very nice. You will notice that the curtains on the side are half-open. Mm -hmm. That increases the amplification. One day we opened them all the way, and where, Sarah Neely, are you here? Mm -hmm. Sarah, who is an opera person, came in and said, why are you miking the opera singers? And I'm like, what? She, her ear is so good. She, the amplification from opening the curtains all the way was too much. So then we had to close them halfway. So, but even having them, I couldn't mm -hmm. believe you said, why are you miking me? This was after the day after that conversation. Mm -hmm. But thank you for that, because they would be completely open today and maybe too much bounce. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting working with opera singers versus um, musical theater singers. The voices are very different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Joanna. Yeah, I have one more question. Uh, Beth and I are good friends, and I have confessed to her on numerous occasions that I'm not an opera fan, period, and I'm not a modern opera fan. Um, and she said, oh, and I, I trust Beth implicitly. 
Um, with new operas that are generating out of mm -hmm. the United States, is it the same kind of way that, I know the process, the way plays are developed and the way musicals are developed, where is, where do all you little opera people live? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a bit, it's all over the place. It's one of uh, my great joys. I'm on the Artistic Advisory Council for the American Opera Project. Um, and the American Opera Project is one of the organizations that's doing a ton for new opera. Just a lot. Uh, it's doing a lot for, um, yeah. So it, that's based in, in New York City right now. Um, and that's been great. So there's a lot of people who are based in uh, major hubs. Um, I was from Kentucky, so I always say, if you're on the East Coast, you go to New York. On the West Coast, you go to LA. We were in the Midwest. We went to Chicago. And so Chicago is a great place to be, um, to be doing lots of new opera there and having uh, those experiences. And it has, uh, it depends what you're looking for because different places are doing different things. New York is obviously doing uh, bigger scale productions and um, they can sponsor these avant-garde um, productions and take these risks and do things like that. And that's wonderful. Chicago storefront takes a whole different type of risk because it has such a scene of theater. And so Chicago is, in my opinion, one of the leading cities for um, acting-based and story-based opera, which is really significant um, because we're so often performing in black box, which is sometimes, you know, I've done operas in rooms like this big, you know, where you have whatever it is and you put it in there. So when you're doing things like that and finding those spaces, you have to find a different way to tell stories. Um, and there's a real focus now on storytelling as the mm -hmm. art form first. And I think that's really significant because um, when people uh, don't necessarily like opera or things like that, I feel like the culture of opera has gotten lost from its storytelling roots because that's, that's what it is. It's just like watching a movie or it's just like watching a musical or any of these things. It's about finding a way to tell a story. And, and opera tells it a different way um, than a movie does, obviously. And you know they have cuts and we have instrumentation. So it's just, a, it's just a matter of the tools that we have, that we all have, to make these stories come to life. Um, so yes, but it's, it's all over the country, but obviously it gravitates towards bigger cities for the most part. Although there are some really wonderful small opera companies who are doing a lot in their own communities. Um, because every theater should be a community theater. Everyone who works in the arts should work as if they are a park ranger. The mm. arts are a public institution, and as a park ranger, your job is to protect and care for the public institution. So that is how I see my job, is to protect and care for the spaces that we come to to share these pieces. And because music is something that only happens in specific amounts of time, it's working and sharing and, and trimming the grass, as it were, for those, this 75 minutes. And if you do a bigger opera, if you're doing Wagner, you have a four or five hour uh, <laughs> park, you know. But the smaller to the bigger parks, it doesn't matter. They're all beautiful, as long, you know, you have all the joy there. So um, it's all about finding the community, being part of the community, and really making sure that that park is, is what the community deserves. Because arts are a service job. It's not the community that serves arts, and it shouldn't be. Arts serve you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both. So wonderfully said and, and just captured the spirit of what we'll see this afternoon.